G'day Sports by Fry fans, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports by Fry podcast. Today I am doing a little bit of an audio wrap-up or a teaser for one of the articles that I wrote a few days ago. One player from every NBA team to monitor over the 2019-20 preseason. So as I'm sure basketball fans are well aware, the NBA preseason is back in action. Thank God it has been a long and dreary couple of weeks slash months without any basketball content to consume and any meaningful minutes to watch. But like I said, thankfully ball is back. There's not too long until the regular season is regular season is upon us and while I know the preseason isn't super interesting there are some trends and some things that emerge throughout these first few weeks of the season fresh out of training camp that is very noteworthy so I did my best to try and pigeonhole one player that we should focus on for every team throughout the preseason I will throw the link to that article in the YouTube uh, the podcast description so you can check that out there I'm not going to do every single player probably do seven or eight of them in this podcast, so make sure you hit the article to check out all 30 players. Number one, first cab off the rank. I am very intrigued to see what happens early on in the season with Karis Levert, the Brooklyn Nets guard who pretty much, I don't want to say he was in all-star form because it was only for about 15 games, but he started the year gangbusters last year. Granted, this Brooklyn team is very different entering a new season. As I'm sure we all know, Kyrie Irving arrived in the offseason along with Kevin Durant and his bung Achilles. So Kyrie will dominate a lot of the touches, but it's not too dissimilar to when D'Angelo Russell was on the squad last year. So I'll be very interested to see what exactly Levert can bring to the table. The Nets traded for Torian Prince in the offseason as well, who I think is another dude who'll vie for a starting shooting guard, small forward spot alongside Levert, or maybe push him back onto the bench. But Levert definitely has the skill set to be a very impactful two-way player. He got a contract extension in the last few weeks from the Nets, so it'll be interesting to watch him especially early because if he can be that type of player who can average 17 to 18 points this season and then you just instantly slot Kevin Durant and his 25-30 points a game, then Levert could eventually become the member or a third member of a big three along with Kyrie. I don't think he can become a third all-star alongside those two, but you never know. He is still young. He's had a lot of issues with injuries early on in his career. He did suffer a pretty brutal dislocated slash fractured ankle last year and I think he went through some injury issues at Michigan as well. But I think if he can stay on the court, there's no reason why he can't be a very impactful player on both sides of the ball. Another young guard out in the Eastern Conference who I've got my eyes on, especially as a Cavs fan, I'll be following this man very closely, and that is Colin Sexton. He was drafted last year by the Cavs, the first pick after the uh, LeBron era ended, which... Didn't really pan out well. We all knew that the Cavs were going to stink last year, but I'll be honest, Kevin Sexton was a bit of a bright spot. He kind of surprised me, especially as the season progressed, how consistent he stayed. Granted, he was a rookie. He's small. He's not frail, I don't want to say, but small is a good way to put it. And going up against big NBA dudes night in, night out is pretty tough for a young dude. And he held his own. He shot the ball reasonably well, and I was pretty considerably happy with the way that he shot the ball in catch-and-shoot scenarios. 
Made a pretty good percentage of his threes as well. So out of Alabama, he was seen as a bit more of a aggressive... Well, not really a shooter. He was a bit more of a rim runner and it got to the paint a lot to get his buckets. But if he can spot up and feed off a lot of Darius Garland's passes, who's another guard that Cleveland drafted in the draft just gone, then there's no reason... I know, I know I'm probably getting a two ahead of myself, but there's no reason why these two can't form their own Eastern Conference version of what the Portland Trailblazers have with Dame Lillard and CJ McCollum. Granted, they've got a long way to go before they get to any of those comps, but Colin Sexton looks like a good shooter. Darius Garland's a good shooter. The tricky part will be just to see how these guys coexist. Both dudes are probably used to having the ball in their hands throughout their careers to date. There's other ball hogs on the team like Jordan Clarkson, Brandon Knight. I'm not going to get too depressed and reel off any more uh, Cavs players, but... Those two guards in Sexton and Garland and how they mesh, especially early in the season, will be interesting to watch. Because if for some reason they don't really work, don't rule out a trade seeing one or the other. Probably Sexton is the odd man out. I don't think the Cavs would trade Garland very early into his rookie season. But I don't think they'd trade either of them, to be honest. But you never know. If they start to butt heads, it could happen. The third NBA player that I'm focusing on is another guard, but this guard has achieved a hell of a lot more than any of the dudes I've already mentioned in his NBA career. The 2016-2017 MVP Russell Westbrook will be wearing Houston Rockets colors this year, and I am one person who is very high on what the Rockets can achieve. Granted, meshing with James Harden and seeing if they can coexist has a lot of people hosing down their potential championship aspirations, but... I don't know, call it a gut instinct, call me a bit crazy, but I feel like Russ and Harden can make this work. The interesting part, and what will be the thing that I'll be watching for, is just how Russ plays when he doesn't have the ball in his hand. I think over the last three seasons when he's been posting triple doubles, he's had the highest usage rate in the entire league. If not, it's been right up there. He's been dominating for OKC and has had the rock just solely in his possession. And if he wasn't leading the league in usage rate, there's a chance that he was finishing second to James Harden. So how they deploy Russ and Harden, they kind of got it right with Chris Paul and uh, James Harden, but not really. I feel like they should have kind of staggered both of those players' minutes a bit more, especially CP3, and eased his workload off a bit. But Russ is still uh, nearing the end of, but in his athletic prime, so he can still contribute for sure. So if Harden and Russ can work well together, there's no reason why they both can't put up near triple doubles and lead the Rockets to a pretty impressive record. They're my pick in the early going for the team to finish with the number one seed at the top of the West Conference, just because I feel like going up against one or both of those dudes on any given night, they're going to come and give 110%. I think the one of the preseason games literally just finished not too long ago, and in that game, Harden had a 37-point game in against uh, the Clippers in Hawaii, it was. So you never know. These dudes are going to put up plenty of numbers on a nightly basis, and I feel like that'll get them a lot of wins in the regular season. Might not translate to a lot of success in the playoffs. These two are perennially coming short in that regard, but I feel like these two will kind of get it right and generate plenty of stories throughout the season, but the early going will dictate just exactly how they can mesh, especially when Westbrook doesn't have the rock. The fourth player that I want to discuss, and honestly, a bloke that I'll probably be focusing most of my attention on throughout this season, and he might be the one that I'm focusing on the most out of this entire list that I compiled, is Miles Turner from the Indiana Pacers. In the FIBA World Cup, we got to see him show some flashes of offensive growth, but 
Let's be honest, throughout his entire NBA career to date, he's just been showing flashes. He hasn't really improved on that side of the ball, probably in the last two seasons, maybe last three seasons. I know it sounds a bit harsh, but he's a dude that has all the tools to be a dominant big man in today's NBA, and for whatever reason, he hasn't really put it all together yet. I know that maybe you could say that he doesn't fit perfectly with DeMontis Sabonis or Thaddeus Young before him, and maybe he hasn't really been used in the right way, but... Granted, Turner hasn't put up the numbers that I honestly expected him to. He's been touted as a fringe all-star and a bloke that's going to make the leap for a number of seasons now, and I think entering his fifth season, it's now or never, buddy. He's great on the defensive end. He led the league in blocks per game last year, and he looked like a defensive anchor for the Team USA during the World Cup, but with Victor Oladipo limited and sore to start the year, there's rumours that he might even miss, you know, up until All-Star break, which is about 30 games off the top of my head. So with those things a little bit doubtful, actually, no, sorry, that'd be closer to 50 games. So if Victor misses that much time, Malcolm Brogdon coming to the team does give them a little bit of a boost. But for the Pacers to be relevant and to live up to a lot of this sleeper potential that they generated after they got Brogdon and early on in the offseason, Turner's going to have to make the leap. They don't have Wes Matthews anymore. They don't have Boyan Bogdanovich. So they've lost a couple of offensive weapons. I know Jeremy Lamb comes over as well, but I'm not super excited about that. TJ Warren should be nice, but I think Turner is really the key to Indiana's success this year. He has the potential to unlock a hell of a lot, and if he pushes up his scoring, similar to Karis LeVert, somewhere near that 18, even getting a bit greedy, closer to the 20-point-per-game mark, then Pacers are going to be a team to keep your eye on. Fifth bloke on the list and someone who comes to Los Angeles with a shiny new championship ring is Danny Green. We've known that he's a great marksman, has been for a number of years. In the 2013 finals, he set the then record for the most threes made. Didn't have the same profound impact during Toronto's championship run last year, but he is a great player on both sides of the ball, a great leader, and... With the Lakers, let's be honest, pretty thin in a lot of areas, how Danny Green performs this season could dictate how far the Lakers go. Granted, I know most of their success will hinge on the health and the performance of AD and LeBron, but those two dudes can only do so much. I know that they're probably going to get them to the playoffs and to a top three, four seed in the West, but Danny Green and his hot shooting could be someone that wins them and swings a series could win a couple of playoff games off his own back. And he's a noteworthy defender. He's not great. He's a bit older now. I think he's in his about 11th, 12th season, something like that. So Green still does bring a lot to the table, though. And I don't really have a lot of faith in Contavious Caldwell-Pope or Quinn Cook moving the leader. But Kyle Kuzma's injury issues are a bit concerning. DeMarcus Cousins is out for the year. Dwight Howard doesn't fill me with confidence. So for that reason, I know that there are other holes on their roster, but... Just how Danny Green performs for the Lakers in 2019-2020, I think could be very, very crucial for their success. The next bloke I'm keeping an eye on will have a bit of a bigger role for his team this season, in my opinion, is Eric Bledslow. Some people were a little bit hesitant to see the Bucks give him a contract extension during the season last year, but he, th- I think, earned his four-year $70 million payday. Didn't really show up in the playoffs and live up to the hype, but that was when Malcolm Brogdon was back in the rotation, and it was a little bit of a, a funky mix. Bledslow is a bit of a... How would I word it? I don't know. He's a bit of an enigma on offense. He... Looked like a great bucket getter when he was with Phoenix, but since he's moved to the Bucks, hasn't really dominated scoring the ball. Granted, there is only so much you can do when you're playing with an MVP like Giannis, but 
I feel like Middleton alongside... Uh, sorry, Middleton. I feel like Bledslow alongside Chris Middleton. I feel like those two could go a long way to really propelling the Bucks into the elite category out east. Them and Philly, I think, are almost one and two at the moment in whatever order you have preferably. But if Bledslow can get to the rack, generate a couple more free throws, his free throw rate was really down a lot last year, then he could push his points per game closer to the 20-point mark that he did drop when he was wearing a Phoenix Suns jersey. And if he can do that, there's no reason why he can't be a great two-way player, maybe a fringe all-star out east. And if he keeps that play up throughout the playoffs, then it's going to be very interesting. I'll be watching him early on, but this pick was more or less made to see how he goes throughout the duration of the season. Michael Brogdon missed well, ballpark two-thirds of the year last year, so Bledsoe held his own throughout that period, but he doesn't have Bledsoe there. It doesn't have Brogdon there anymore, so Bledsoe has the keys to be the team's point guard. They shifted their rotation a little bit, but he will be the guy that could help them unlock a lot of potential and could help the Bucks win an elusive championship. Last up, the final bloke I'm going to talk about is a point guard who actually switched teams this offseason, and... I was one of the people that kind of raised my eyebrows when I saw him switch jerseys. That is Ricky Rubio. He's now a Phoenix Sun, fresh off an MVP performance at the FIBA World Cup. So we know that Ricky can still play. He's made a career out of finding an open man and averages somewhere near eight assists for his NBA career. But the reason I'm going to be watching him early on is just to see how he fits with this Phoenix team. And I don't know if he actually meshes with their timeline. He actually enters the Phoenix Suns season as the most tenured NBA player on their roster with his eight years of experience. And he's going to have 10 teammates that are either in their first or second NBA season. So doesn't mean that Ricky Rubio can't help drag them out of the gutter. I know that he's definitely going to help Devin Booker get a couple of open looks and him, Ricky Rubio that is, and DeAndre Ayton in the pick and roll could be a pretty dynamic duo. So he'll definitely be helpful in those regards. But I do wonder just how much he propels the Suns forward, and if this signing was a little bit of a throw a lot of money at a problem, that Phoenix has been looking for a long-term point guard solution for a couple of years now, and Ricky Rubio might not be the greatest long-term answer. He is an immediate stopgap in that spot, and getting a little bit on in age, and he has had some injury issues in the past, I do wonder if this is a great fit alongside some of the young Phoenix core, but he played pretty well with Utah over the last two years and was able to stay fit and healthy, so I hope for Suns fans' sake that he can do that because if Ricky Rubio can go out there and throw up his, I don't know, 13 points a night and put up 8 to 9 dimes, maybe even push closer to 10 dimes, could be a real boost for the Phoenix Suns. In Utah, he was forced a little bit to play a little bit more offensive-minded, and I think when he was back in his Minnesota days, when he was at his freewheeling best trying to find the open man and play a bit more of a pass-first role, then that was when he excelled. And he's got plenty of weapons around him on the Suns, so will it fit? I don't know, maybe, but I'll definitely be watching in the early part of the season to see if he does find the kin- uh, what's the word? camaraderie with those young Suns dudes to help propel them up the standings. I think I'm going to cap it at seven. That'll do for this episode. Thank you once again for tuning in to another podcast. I am going to turn this into a YouTube video. My YouTube content has been lacking in recent times, I'll be honest. I've found any excuse under the sun to not produce as much. So I will be ramping up that coverage. I'm going to start recording a lot more audio and video copies of my articles and a couple of other brainstorms that I have for uh, video and article 
uh, things will be up on the Sports by Fry channels in the near future. Another Fast Five will probably be coming out Sunday, maybe Monday morning. Actually, I think, no, I will. I'll commit to Sunday so then I can preview a little bit of week five in the NFL. So thank you for listening to this episode. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast for future episodes. But until next time, peace. Peace.